Okay, we are going to get into the, the message uh, this morning. Um, we're going to be reading from, well, we have the reading this morning already, uh, and, and the one verse, two messages that are going to be preached today, one this morning, one this evening, both of them following one on from the other, both of them preaching from the same, the same body of, uh, of text. The title of the message this morning is The Purpose for Which He Came. The Purpose for Which He Came. The title of the message this evening is The Purpose for Which We Go. The Purpose for Which We Go. And it really, really is fundamentally important. You know, we talk about missions, and, and Pastor Steve was talking about missions, and this is Missions Week. You know, it's impossible to really... Um, it's impossible to know what it is that we are to do unless we really, really grasp the very reason why our Lord Jesus Christ came. And, uh, and why he came, I find it there, summarised in, uh, in verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's open the word of prayer and, and we'll get into the study for this morning. Father, I thank you, dear Lord, for the work that you do within each one of our lives, Father. You, you continue to seek. You continue to do your work within the lives of every individual here. And I pray, dear Father, you would give us an understanding of the word of God that perhaps we have missed in times past, dear Lord, but would give us a, a revitalised spirit, dear Lord, to do your work, to understand the mission of our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, and to understand, dear Lord, that... It's the eternal significance, dear Father, in the lives of others. Not ourselves, dear Lord, but the lives of others that we are to focus on. And I pray, dear Father, you would please be with me this morning. Let the word of God be clear as it's pronounced. And Father, you would guard me and guard my heart, but also open the eyes and the hearts of those that are here present. They would hear the word of God and they would act, dear Lord, on the wonderful truth that they come to understand. I praise you for this time and I praise you for this morning. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. The first point for the morning is that um, Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of Man. Verse 10 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Um, I work in the construction industry. And we have... Architects that actually draw drawings for buildings and their intent is to have what's represented on their drawing on the building. Okay. The difficulty though is if if they what they draw is impossible to achieve, then you can't really take their drawings too seriously. There's part of the course that I did when I did my building diploma. And it was a subject called buildability. And I have to tell you, there's a lot of architects that um, they either ignored that part of the course or uh, it just didn't rise up to be very, very important for them. The Bible here teaches us that Jesus being the Son of Man and that he, that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. If we understand who the Son of Man is we then have the ability to be able to understand whether indeed he can do exactly what he is called to do, to seek and to save that which was lost. If I had complete faith in the genius 
of the architect, then he would have devised the means and created the means to be able to perform that which he intended to perform. And it's the same idea. What we have to understand about the Lord is, who is he? Who is this? Who is this son of man? And can he actually do that which he has charged himself to do? And to say that that which was lost, the context here, and you have to understand the seriousness of it, it's not speaking about, um, it's not speaking about a, a few strays. The Bible says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. It's speaking about the entire world. So God is, the Lord Jesus Christ is looking to seek and to save that which was lost. This is a big job. This is a big effort. It's every single person on the face of this earth. And when it speaks about those that are lost, it's not speaking about someone that can't find their way home, although we, we, could, we could expand on that a little bit more. It's speaking about the eternal state of each and every person in the world. Guys, this isn't, this isn't something light. This isn't something that, that, that we, you know, we flippantly take for granted. And we do that all the time, even in our own lives. We, we, we sit there thinking about, well, what's the purpose for my life? What's the biggest thing that I could be doing for my life? And what do we do? Our focus is always on ourselves. I know before I was saved, I was very much like that. It was, it was all about Eddie Judetti. You know? What can Eddie do for Eddie? Not what can Eddie do for anybody else. What can Eddie do for Eddie? Could you imagine the difference you could make in someone's life where you actually change their eternity? Your, your, your work and what you have done and what you have said, what you have shared, would actually work towards changing their eternity. And that's why our Lord came. Our Lord came to make a difference in the lives of people forever. Forever. And it would warn them and tell them and show them that they are lost. So two questions come to mind. What does the Bible refer to when it speaks about the Son of Man? And can he actually save uh, those who he found? Both his identity and his ability qualifies his purpose that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. So the phrase the Son of Man. It comes up in the Bible 199 times. 199 times the phrase, the son of man, turns up in scripture. And we want to try and understand, what is this son of man? Interestingly, in the Old Testament, the first 108 times, the phrase clearly refers to a simple human being. 108 times in the Old Testament, before it actually begins to refer to something a little bit different, a title. And we find that title... If you can turn in your Bibles to Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 7. The reference Son of Man appears in the Old Testament 110 times in total. But one time, it's a title and not referring to an individual. Daniel, chapter 7. So in the middle of your Bible, you've got Psalms, turn to the right and keep moving to get to a... Ezekiel, a little bit further past. Daniel chapter 7. This, this phrase here is very, very different to what we see elsewhere in Scripture. Verse 13. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days... 
and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. This is the first and the last time we see the phrase the Son of Man used as a, as a title in the Old Testament. It's actually used as a title in the Old Testament. And it refers to the very one who's promised to save and to redeem the world to himself. For he came with the clouds of heaven, the Bible says, and came to the Ancient of Days. Who's the Ancient of Days? It's God the Father. God the Father. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. Should serve him. Should serve the Son of Man. And his dominion is an everlasting one. It's not going to pass away. It goes on forever. So this doesn't just refer to a mere mortal man. Someone that's going to die. This refers to someone that will reign forever. And it's not a mere mortal man that's going to be receiving glory or worship of any kind. So no man or angel in scripture is to receive glory and worship in this respect. This is one that we know as the the son of man, the son of God. Jesus refers to himself in this way as a title a lot of times in the New Testament. So when we look at the New Testament, we find a real interesting curiosity. Just as in the Old Testament, it appears every other time as a man and only one time as a title. In the New Testament, it appears every time as a title and only one time as a man. Turn your Bibles to to Matthew chapter 26. We won't understand the significance of this title until we can recognise what it is that other people uh, think of him. Do you notice that in the the Bible, in the New Testament, a lot of the times when when Jesus is doing something um, or he says something and he's particularly coming up against the Pharisees and the scribes, the leaders within within Jerusalem, he he says something and then they they pick up stones to throw at him. Was it something that I said? You know, And it was. Jesus is often making a claim for himself. And what we find here is right at the end of his ministry, they're quizzing him on something and it refers to what he refers to himself. And we'll see how serious uh, that title of the Son of Man is held as far as the Pharisees are concerned. Matthew chapter 26, verses 63. So go to verse 63. And he says, But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Thou hast said. What's he doing when he says thou hast said? Yeah, he's saying yes. It's, it's in the affirmative. He's he basically saying you said it. You said it. And we know that because they still get upset. He says, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. What did Jesus just quote? He just quoted Daniel. 
Jesus is actually referring to himself as the very one that comes to the Ancient of Days. He's referring to himself as the very one that will receive power and glory and dominion and a kingdom that will last forever and ever, an everlasting kingdom. Jesus is referring to himself as that very individual that's spoken of and prophesied in the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter 7. That wasn't lost on the Pharisees. Did you notice? What did they do? They didn't pick up stones. Well, what did they do? They said, do we have any further need of witnesses? He's spoken blasphemy. What's blasphemy? What are they charging him with? Notice that the titles that they've used, they said, whether thou be the Christ. Then they said, the Son of God. And Jesus has referred to himself as the Son of Man. This is really interesting. We'll have a look a little bit more. If you still got your Bibles there, turn to Mark chapter 14. Again, verse 61 to 63. Mark chapter 14. And we're in the same situation. We're in the same point. And the high priest is asking the same similar questions. It says in verse 61, Again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Who's the Blessed? The Blessed is God. It's God the Father. It's the same question. Art thou the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witnesses? Again, we've got this interesting picture where the Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man, there seems to be some form of symmetry between those phrases. Because when he's asked, Are you the Christ, the Son of God? Jesus refers in the affirmative and he calls himself the Son of Man. And again, we've got an allusion back to Daniel in Daniel chapter 7. In Luke 22, the question again is asked, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. That's basically saying the same thing as before. You know, thou sayest it, you said it. You know, ye say that I am. And they said, obviously he's answering in the affirmative, and they said, what need we any further witnesses? For we ourselves have heard of his own mouth. This repetition in the Gospels that the title, the Son of Man, is synonymous with the title, the Son of God, and the Christ. What's the Christ? What what does the Christ mean? Anybody know? Messiah. The one that should come. The Saviour. It's his title. His title is the Saviour. This is the Christ. The Saviour who came to save that which was lost. The very title is representative of the task. His very title is representative of the task. Brethren, if we can expect a builder to build and a nurse to nurse and a cook to cook and a bricklayer to lay bricks, a boiler maker to make boilers then we should in every way know and believe that the Saviour came to save. The Saviour came to save. It's his title. It's who he is. And that's his purpose. 
The purpose for which he came is to seek and to save that which was lost. The second point, Jesus is the one who seeks. It's Jesus is the one who seeks. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to seek that which was lost. It's not we that seek him, but he that seeks us. A lost man can only seek to be found, brethren. A lost man can only seek to be found, but can't find himself. Today, there's so many people doing all they can to find themselves. You know, they go out in big journeys. The uh, older blokes buy Harley Davidsons and they go and travel around Australia because they need to try and find themselves. They go all around Australia and still can't find themselves. You know, and they come back. Are they changed? No, they're changed. The only change is that they now got a leather jacket with a funny hat and a long beard and a Harley Davidson between their legs. That's the only difference. So, have they found themselves? You're looking for all these devices and all these means. People are, people are trying to seek and find themselves in all these different spiritual ways. They, they turn to Eastern mysticism trying to find themselves. And they actually don't know that they're lost. It's Christ who has left the Father. It's Christ who has come to seek and to be found of them that sought him not. It's the very effort of the Christ that when all hope is lost for any to find God, though they seek him in part but can never find because their sin blinds them in their quest, they're found of God through Christ because it's him alone that will leave the ninety and nine to search for the one. The one which is lost. Now the interesting thing is it's, it's you he seeks after. You he seeks after. You individually. It's alright to sit there and, and say, yeah, he's doing a big search and a big broad sweep. He's looking for someone. He's uh, looking for you. And he hasn't changed, you know, the heart of God is the same. The heart of God is to is to is to search for his people. He's done it since. Time long gone. You still got your, your Bible turned to Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Back to your middle of your Bible, turn right again. You'll go past Jeremiah and Lamentations, Isaiah. If you get to Daniel, you've gone too far. Turn back, Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 34. We see the work of God working in the people that he seeks after. The Lord who would seek after sinful man to redeem him to himself. Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 11. I'll just read a handful of verses there. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold I, even I, will both search my sheep, And seek them out, as a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is come, his sheep, he is among his sheep that are scattered. So will I seek out my sheep, and I will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people, and gather them from the countries, and will bring them to their own land, and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers. 
and in all the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them in a good pasture. And upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold, and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. I will seek that which was lost, and bring again that which was driven away, and will bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong, and I will feed them with judgment. If, if, if this is the desire of, of God for Israel, um, what then is the desire of the Son of God, who left his throne to come as a man, to suffer like no man has ever suffered, and to die the death of the cursed and the condemned. Is it not to seek and to save? Isn't that the purpose of the Son of God? Isn't that why he came? Luke chapter 15 says, What man among you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbours, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over the ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. How the Lord rejoices over finding a sinner that was lost. Over finding a sinner that was lost. And you'll notice that he's rejoicing over the sinner that repents. So the sinner that was lost, when he's found, that, re- that reference is referring to the sinner that repents. So the sinner that repents is the sinner that's found. You got it? The sinner that repents is the sinner that is found. So we know that the heart of Christ is the heart of God. The desire to seek is the same. The love which would give all for that purpose is the same. And that which is found is the same as the sinner that repents. The heart of God is demonstrated in the work of Christ. The heart of God is demonstrated in the work of Christ. He's a love that knows no bounds. Turn your Bibles to um, Gospel of John, please. John chapter 12. We often think that it's, it's just his, his life. You know, when he came 2,000 odd years ago and he, gave, um, and he came and he ministered for those three years, we think that the Lord Jesus Christ is actually doing all his seeking then. You know, there's some part of our brain that actually thinks that, you know, when he was physically manifested, that's when he was actually doing his seeking. The Bible actually says that even when he was on the cross, he was drawing all men to himself. He was drawing all of man to himself, even while on the cross. John chapter 12, verse 27. And Jesus praying, he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it, said it thundered. Others said that an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. 
Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. How say, and how sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus, and departed, and did hide himself from them. How, how tragic it is that though he came to seek and to save, there be some that desire not to be found. And Jesus did hide himself from them. Those that will not believe the gospel will not be saved from their sin. Those that repent are found. Um, when I was a kid, we played hide and seek. You ever played hide and seek when you were a kid? Oh, come on, if you never played hide and seek, you never had a childhood. You know? And I remember, I remember when I first played hide and seek, and we lived in a, we didn't live in a cul-de-sac, a court, right, in, um, in, in Melton. It's tough growing up in Melton. I was the only wog there. So it was really good fun. But as a child, I'm there, and we're playing, <coughs> we're playing hide and seek. Some of the kids in the court want to play hide and seek. I'd never played before. So, so I, I figured, oh, I got this game wired, you know, because, 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 if they can't see me, if I can't see them, then they can't see me. So I stood in the middle of the court and I had my eyes covered and um, needless to say, I was caught pretty quickly. It's funny, as a child, you're very easily found, you know. But I got really good at that game. I got pretty good at it. It wasn't long and I couldn't be found. The older I grew, the more tricks I had, the more schemes I had to be able to sneak away. See, I wouldn't just hide in one place. Just when they were there, I'd scamper around and find somewhere else to hide and they wouldn't see me. My daughter Natalie got excellent at that game at a very young age. She'd pop out of closets just when you're... You're just walking past, you're doing something, and all of a sudden you hear this... <laughs> and I'm like, what the... So, <laughs> so laugh, and you open the door to this little box. It was I've got a study there, and there's this you know up here, and there's a wall, and, and there's a hole there, and I store stuff in there. And she was in there once. I couldn't believe it. The thing is, the thing is, can you can you understand why it is so easy? So easy for children to come to the Lord, you know. See, they're, they're easily found. The child doesn't know how to hide. It doesn't know the tricks. It doesn't know the schemes. The child doesn't know. A child is easily found. You share the gospel with a child and, you know, there's a strong chance their heart's open. We get older. We learn how to play the game. And just when the gospel's shared, we run, we find another place to hide. We scamper because we don't want to be found. 
Friends, there are none who desire to be found that will ever be lost. There are none who desire to be found that will ever be lost. And there are none who desire to be lost that will ever be found. It's repentance that finds you. It's repentance that reveals where you are, reveals that location. And it's that repentance that you need to be found. The purpose for which he came is to seek and to save that which is lost. Third point, Jesus is the one who saves. In Christianity, it's easy to speak of words like like salvation and and repentance. Um, We who've been saved uh, can really easily say those things because we're both the recipients of this truth and we're the beneficiaries of it. But the average Joe has got little idea of what it means um, or what it refers to. In the text, it's not difficult to explain that that which is sought for is lost and that which is found is saved. Makes sense? That's what we're looking at in the text. Last month, Luke Shambrook, there was an 11-year-old autistic boy, went missing. Um, some of you know, know the story. Uh, he was... They were camping with the family in the central um, uh, Victorian campground. And it was four cold nights that he spent alone. He was missing on the, on the Friday. And, um, but for four days, family, friends and the police and emergency services and the like were, were searching, both on the ground and from the air. Um, they searched for him day and night. Um, one of the most frightening elements of this, which, which they indicated actually hampered the search or could potentially hamper the, the search, was that as, as an autistic boy, um, it's likely he didn't even know he was lost. He didn't even know he was lost. Very good chance. He would have recognised his hunger and he would have recognised his cold and he would recognise that his mother or father was not around but he wouldn't have really understood that he's lost. His dependence was completely on the many people that sought after him. He was helpless to find himself. He was helpless to do anything about his state. After four nights, there would have been more than a few people that had given up hope. Uh, If Luke could not be found, then he would have died out there. He really would have died out there. There's no question. It was a miracle, you know, even four days that he could still survive that amount of time. On the Monday, they found a trace of him. They found his cap. They found his, his beanie. And it, and it revived some hope, you know. It revived hope that they might be able to find him, that they might be closer. Because up until then, see, they had no sign of Luke. The news about him spread all over the world, you know. I was, I was doing a search on the internet with it and I, and I found it. The Guardian in the UK had it reported and the US had it reported. This little autistic boy. The whole world was worrying about him. Many people praying for him. He didn't know he was lost. 11.55 Tuesday, they found him. I, I didn't actually know about this happening. But when the news came through that they found him, I... I, 
I was so happy. I, I didn't know that he was lost. I got to the TV and I'm having a look and I asked Maria about it. And, and she said, yeah, this is a boy that was lost uh, since Good Friday. And, um, and the, the look on everybody, everybody that's surrounded, just joy, you know? Because I mean, you're, all, you're all thinking the worst. I mean, we all naturally think the worst, you know? Oh, this is, this is not going to end well. He's an autistic boy, you know? It's not going to end well. And, and the joy in everybody's faces, people hugging and congratulating one another and just absolutely wrapped. And he was found in relatively good condition. He, he walked out, you know. Every one of us that are here can share in that story, you know. We all can share in that story. Every one of us were lost. And none of us knew who we lost. Until we were found of him who sought us. And when he found us, he saved us. There's traces occasionally. There's traces that the Lord sees a trace of you. You know? Something happens in your life. Something that affects you dramatically and you're looking for a higher cause. You know? Lord finds the beanie. You know? He finds that being. But sometimes that's all he's going to find. And that, that's the heartbreaking thing about this. You know? Some in this very room are still lost. Some here won't repent, won't believe the gospel. Some love their sin too much to love life. They're dead in trespasses and sins. Some that are here have heard their names called out by God. You've heard your own name. You've listened to a message, you've listened to something like this, and something inside you is already stirring you up, even right now. Right now, one of you or some of you are being stirred up. Stirred up for the gospel. What's the Lord going to find? Will he find a beanie or will he find you? I know that you would be found of him. If you would this very day be found and saved, what rejoicing there will be for those who sought after you in hope. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. How wonderful it is to see a person's eternity change before your eyes. Have you, have you ever, I used to watch the Ray Comfort videos where he's sharing the gospel on the streets. And he, he would share the gospel with, with some very hardened people. And I remembered a number of times where he shared the gospel to someone who was ready to receive it, and you could see something change. You could see something in their eyes. Something changed. They understood the gospel. And you then saw all of a sudden an individual, an individual's eternity change from darkness to light, from hell and death to life and liberty. The purpose for which he came was to seek and to save that which was lost. My final point. You are the purpose for which he came. Luke Shambrock would have been completely oblivious to all the people and all the effort and all the expense and all the work being undertaken for him alone. To have so many people looking for him, so many other people in Australia and even around the world thinking about him and, and, and praying for him and hoping for his safety and well-being, he'd have no possible comprehension of it. No way of knowing that. 
And he'd have no clue that I'm using him as an illustration for the gospel that will change someone's life for all eternity. But the similarities are so much the same. And to see so many people go out of their way to give up their work day, their money and their priorities to help and search for one solitary, helpless individual is really something to wonder at and rejoice in. It gives you a glimmer of hope of, um, of man. It'll give you a glimmer of hope of man. But what we truly see in this selflessness occasionally exhibited by mankind is a remnant of the nature of the one in whose image we are made. That's what we see. So this is not in man to do this. This is God's nature to do this. Throughout the millennia, time and again, God has demonstrated his selfless love for mankind. From the fall to the flood, God has demonstrated the way of life to mankind. This isn't something new. What Jesus has done is not something new in and of itself as far as seeking and saving that which was lost. From showing the redemptive plan to Adam, to having the heavens even declaring the glory of God to all that would hear. From Noah finding grace in the eyes of the Lord and the Lord having him to be a preacher of righteousness to the world for 120 years. Imploring and pleading with people. That boat was a big one. It wasn't just the animals that it had room for. It had room for many, many more. And the door was open for this time. This is the greatest building project, the greatest successful building project in the world at that time. Never seen. Rain, never seen. And here it is, built on dry ground. Built on dry ground. And then from choosing Abraham and through the nation of Israel, demonstrating the gospel of God to the world, from the law and the testimonies given to mankind on which all our modern laws are based. Isn't it incredible? All the laws of God, that which he gave Israel, our current laws are based on that. At some point in our lives we took that seriously. All this effort has the Lord undertaken and his very purpose was to seek and to save you personally. This is your worth to him and this is his love shown toward you. What man can do to help man is but a small reflection of what God, through Christ, has done for you personally. Luke Shambrook would be amazed if he knew the efforts people made to save him. Yet a comparative reflection is infinitely greater than tenfold reflecting the brightness of the sun for what God has done to seek and to save you. i close with this passage. It's found in Isaiah, book of Isaiah, in chapter 53. And it gives a picture, again, of the one who God had ordained for mankind about... 1100 years no about 700 years before Christ before he came before he came 700 years before Jesus actually came this is what was said of him chapter 53 who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground he hath no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. 700 years before the coming of Christ, Isaiah penned these words of the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the one whose very purpose in coming was to seek and to save that which was lost. When we think of missions, when we think of our own endeavours, when we think of it locally or globally, we have to remember and always have before our mind the purpose that Christ came, the purpose for which he died and the purpose for which you were saved. We're not saved anymore to live for ourselves. We're to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice unto God. And this is our reasonable service. The difference that you're going to make He's not going to save a young boy for a temporary endeavour or a temporary effect, although that's noble. But the greatest work that you can do is to make a difference in someone's eternity. Nothing, nothing even comes close to it. Nothing comes close to it. And if you don't know the Lord, if you've been hiding yourself from Him, seek to be found. The Lord is a rewarder of all those who diligently seek Him. Seek to be found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth of your word. We thank you for the glorious gospel of our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the work that you have done, not we. For the seeking that you have done, not we. And for the saving that you have done, something that we have no part to play. I pray, dear Father, this day, dear Lord, that in the hearts of many here, dear Lord, you would give them a purpose for their own individual mission. As that hymn had so wonderfully put it, dear Lord, even if it was to stay, to seek those for the work of Christ. The work of Christ continues on and it continues on through our own lives. And I pray, dear Lord, that no matter what work we do, even a word fitly spoken at, right, at just the right time, a person that's been put on our own hearts for a telephone call, 
a letter that needs to be written to someone to let them know that you care and that there is one who seeks after them. Father, I pray that you would put that upon all our hearts. And I pray, dear Lord, for anyone here that is still lost. Oh, Father, I know, dear Lord, that they may not even be aware that they're lost. But I ask you, dear Father, whatever stirring up that you have done within their heart this day, that they would respond. That they would respond. That they would indeed be saved. Father, I praise you for this morning and I praise you for this church and this people. I just ask you, dear Lord, that you continue to be with us and bless us as we come to a greater and deeper knowledge of the truth of God in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.